Poetry On Air with Sheboygan Poet Laureate Lisa Vijos. Hi, I'm Lisa Vijos, and you're listening to Poetry On Air, a program of Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. My guest today is Milwaukee poet Margaret Rosga, a.k.a. Peggy, to her friends, Peggy was the 2019-2020 Poet Laureate of Wisconsin, and she's the author of four books of poetry, including Pestiferous Questions, A Life in Poems. A new volume of her work, called Holding Myself Together, will be released in May from Cornerstone Press, and I'm so excited that she's here today. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Now, I know you brought us uh, some different poems today. Um, first, a, a batch of a few things that have been inspiring to you, and then we'll hear some poems of, your, of yours. So let's start out with the inspiration. Share, share the, one of the poems that you brought. Okay, one of my all-time favorites is Elizabeth Bishop's poem, One Art. So I'll begin by reading that. One Art. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that the loss is no disaster. Lose something every day, accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing is not hard to master. Then practice, losing farther, losing faster, places and names and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch. And look, my last or last next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones and vaster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent, I miss them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, the gesture I love, I shan't have lied, it's evident. The art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. I love that poem. I, I... I can so relate to the art of losing, and it's comforting to know that it's not hard to master, isn't it? Um, tell, tell me, what, what is it about this poem, Peggy, that first grabbed you? I also can identify with losing things. I wish I had all the time I spent looking for what I just had right next to me on the table, or, or where was it? But speaking of the poetic technique here, it's a highly structured poem. It's a villanelle. Uh, you have the first and the third lines that repeat um, at the end of each stanza, and then they come together in, in the end. Uh, and there's rhyme. It's the first and third lines of every stanza, and then the second lines of each stanza rhyme with each other. So it's hard to get all that working together. And Elizabeth Bishop does it not only well, but so well that the poem 
is almost conversational. You can read it as somebody just spontaneously talking. And that's kind of my goal as poet. I would like to be that skillful. Uh, it's a goal that I'm still working toward. I don't usually write in set forms, although I do have some poems that are sonnets or villanelles. Uh, but even, even in addition to that, there's a lot going on here. I used to love to teach this poem when I was a full-time faculty member at the University of Wisconsin in Waukesha, um, because I, I think sometimes students, when they're beginning, perceive poems to present an idea and just kind of stick with it, you know. Um, and what this poem does is have, uh, it intensifies as it goes along. So there's some movement in the poem. Mm -hmm. It starts out with little losses that you and I and probably most people can identify with. Yeah, the lost keys. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and then they get more and more serious and, and, and maybe uh, some element of metaphor. I lost two cities. Well, I don't think she really lost two cities. The cities are still there. The cities can be found. But some loss for her right. in relationship to those cities. And then the beloved, even losing you. Um, and then, as many poet poems do, there's this turn in the end. Right. And even the tone changes. I, I think at the end we see that uh, it is hard to lose, lose someone you love. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great poem. Thanks for, for bringing it today. Um, let's have you move on to the next poem. The next poem is from an anthology that you co-edited in 2020 with a poet friend, Angela Trudell Vasquez, who happens to be the poet laureate of Madison. And you together worked on putting this anthology together called Through This Door. Um, and you were going to share something from the book. Do you want to tell us a, a little about the book and then also share the poem that you picked to read? Yes, the poem I'd like to read from Through This Door Wisconsin in Poems is written by Reggie Finlayson. He's a Milwaukee poet, longtime professor at Milwaukee Area Technical College. His poem is called Eye to Eye. The first eye is the first person pronoun, and the second eye is uh, what we see with eye to eye. Pondering Buddhist texts in Bayfield, I behold a bear no more than one, but big as linebackers in Chai Town. At sunrise, he curious as me, eyeing jet black fur, nose the color of cinnamon brown as me, contemplating existence in a moment when no eyes bat over what city eyes might dread. I behold a bear in Bayfield and turn again to Buddhist texts. That's great. That's great. What, um, so this poem appears in Through This Door and tell me what, what in this poem to you spoke of door, doorness, if any? Well, that's an interesting thing. And I didn't quite realize it until 
um, I had organized several readings from the book and listened to the poems as the writers read them. And then I realized how many of the poems, when I first thought of doing this book, I thought of opening the door and letting, letting experience in, letting people in, letting new ideas in. But a lot of the poems in the book are to get out the door. Uh, so they open the door to step outside. There's a lot of poems that appreciate um, the encounters that can happen in, in nature. Some of them mention the door, but Reggie's does not. Uh -huh. um, so yes, that is a question about where's the door here. <laughs> um, yeah, and one of the reasons that I liked it was um, that he did what I think some of the poets were trying to get at, and that is, let's abolish doors. Ah. Let's go outside, let's be more open, uh, metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's interesting to me here uh, is that I interpreted the poem differently than he did. When okay. I finally got a chance to talk about it, he offered an interpretation that was not my interpretation. I, I thought, okay, the encounter with the bear and the reading of the Buddhist text is one continued experience and there's no barrier between them. Uh -huh. But that's not how he saw it. He saw it as this kind of invisible door mm. Um, that blocks us off from these transcendent moments. And the encounter with the bear where there's no fear uh -huh. is a transcendent moment. And the reading of the Buddhist text is a more earthbound or prosaic or everyday kind of thing. Uh -huh. um, it, it might lead to the transcendent moment, but it itself is not. So that's what he saw. Um, Very interesting. And I think it's possible at it both ways yeah yeah that's a that's a doorway into the poem that i didn't have before so thank you that's a it's a, i loved just even the alliteration of of bear and bayfield and buddhist it just this the sound of the the words were were compelling poetry is music poetry is uh, an experience for the ear this is true and and it comes very well here yeah Speaking of sound and, and music for the ear, I know your next poet that you are going to share has a, a strong emphasis on sound. Um, do you want to read the third poem, The Hopkins? Oh, yes. This is the first poem that I ever really loved. Okay. And a lot of the reason was for what Hopkins does with sound. Um, but it, it had another hook for me. I can imagine. Uh, the poem is, yes, because he begins with my name. Yes. Uh, the poem is addressed to, to Margaret. It's called Spring and Fall for a Young Child. Margaret, are you grieving over Golden Grove unleaving? Leaves like the things of man you with your fresh thoughts care for, can you? Ah, as the heart grows older, it will come to such sights colder. By and by, nor spare a sigh, the worlds of one would weep no lie. And yet you will weep and know why. 
Now, no matter, child, the name, sorrow's springs are the same. Nor mouth had, no, nor mind expressed what heart heard of, ghost, guessed. It is the blight man was born for. It is Margaret you mourn for. That's beautiful. Did you first hear that poem when you were like a teenager or how old were you when you first heard it? Yeah, yeah, Lisa, I think so. I think I was in high school when I first encountered this, mm -hmm. this poem. And did it make you feel sad or did it comfort you or what did it in evoke? Um, my very first impression was joy. He's talking to me. Nice. Um, and I don't know how, how much I understood of uh, the white man was born for when I was 16. <laughs> um, but every time, it's, it's one of those poems that every time I read it, I see something new. And when I was preparing for our conversation today and was reading it over for that, one of the things that I noticed is that in the first line, Margaret's name has an accent over the first A and an accent over the E so as to draw it out, I think, to mm. so it's Margaret. Mm. Um, and then he names her again at the end or addresses her again at the end without any accents. I so never noticed that, that before. Last, yeah, I didn't notice it until this afternoon either. Um, but but so so her name is elongated in the beginning and cut short, cut shorter mm. at the end. Interesting. Which fits with the theme of the poem. It does. It um, does. It's it just this little touch. Yeah. Well, if you will um, give me the liberty to share, I love this poem. And I, when I first read it, I wanted to respond to the poet. And I wrote a poem. His poem is called Spring and Fall. And I wrote a, and it's to a young child. And I wrote a poem called Fall and Spring to an Aging Man after Gerard Manley Hopkins. Yes, Gerard, I am grieving for the leaves and every leaving, thoughts that fail, songs unsung. I feel them slip, though I am young. Then as our hearts grow older and I feel them burning bolder, time rushes to deflate me. But your hungry verse will sate me and by and by elate me as I fall toward you I flail and see my ghost set sail. Your words come close, then flicker far. Like fireflies, they fill my jar. I hold them safe and never mourn. We are, Gerard, in spring reborn. I wanted to, I wanted to comfort him and cheer him up. <laughs> and not feel that, it was, that all was cut short and lost. <laughs> I think he would enjoy the way that you pick up on some of his phrases. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. It was fun. It's fun to do that. <laughs> Have you ever done that, respond to a poem by another poet? It's kind of a fun thing to do. I think that's one of the things that poetry should do and that we should be open to doing with poetry, that it it begins a conversation. It, poetic conversation or not. I mean, you could just talk to Gerard Manley Hopkins. Yeah. But it's so much lovelier when you um, 
craft your language uh, in, in a way that honors him. Um, I have tried it at, at a few points. Yeah. Actually, I tried it once with um, Elizabeth Bishop. Oh, wonderful. Hi, this is Lisa Vihos. We're back with Poetry on Air, and my guest today is Milwaukee poet Margaret Roska. Let's pick up on this idea, uh, these ideas we've been talking about, about the sound of poetry and how, how poetry is like a conversation. Um, Peggy, I know you brought uh, something that, that makes the point about sound. Uh, you want to share the, the first poem? Okay. <clears throat> the poem is called Risk Awe. The title is a little hard to say, uh, from those consonants to the more flowing sound of all. Um, but it puts us in mind of the central metaphor of this poem, Risk Awe. The flight pattern, its sweep carves orange scallops against the green. Someone nearby must grow milkweed pinpoint monarch eggs underneath the leaves at first unseen. Soon voracious eating, the chrysalis, and two weeks later, pulsing wings. See, again, flight a loose weave, the absolute refusal to be unseen. That's beautiful. And the sound of that E, E, that that keeps coming, that long E sound. I love that. Um, and I was curious too, the title, Risk Awe. Tell us how you, how did you land on that title? Well, what I was doing with the title was making a metaphor of the butterfly. I, the poem began with my actually seeing arc in flight and it did scoop up and down uh, in a scallop sort of flight pattern. And both the colors, the orange and black, and the movement um, called attention to itself. Um, and although the monarch begins so tiny, the eggs are so tiny, a friend of mine says they're too small even to be called tiny. Um, That's great. So at first the uh, beginnings are unseen, but then there is this calling attention to itself, um, or at least from, from my point of view, that's what seems to be happening. Uh, and I think of it as encouragement to um, be um, bold with what you have to offer the world, mm. uh, then die away from making a statement rather than shying away from um, putting your light out there to help others. Um, nice. Which is risky. I, I mean, in some ways I think of this poem as the opposite or uh, in conversation with, in contrast to Emily Dickinson's, I'm nobody, who are you? Step out there, be, be willing to risk showing your total awesomeness. <laughs> I love that. That's a good message. <laughs> and a monarch butterfly is a wonderful 
uh, deliverer of that message, right? And you captured it in your poem. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's see. What, what is, let's go to the second poem. What, what else did you bring? Brought full of grace. Poem begins, I carry a sack full of my failures. It is the way I pray. I draw letters freed from words, pull them back into words, a line, a poem, a praise song to the faces of courage, another prayer. Some mornings at the first of sunrise, I look east, which is at a 20 degree angle of my misplotted east-west street. The angle of my face then is also a prayer unsaid in this holy moment. Sometimes rote prayers of my childhood rise from deep memory in the name of Hail Mary, this now and ever shall be a descant to my day. Some evenings all seems impossible, not, not impossible, difficult. That too, my unsayable prayer. Very nice. Tell me, what was the origin of this poem? How did this poem come to you? I was at a meeting and uh, I, as I remember it, I was apologizing for something I had forgotten to do. And another person at the meeting said, there you are with your sack full of failures again. And without a moment's pause, I answered him, yeah, that's the way I pray. I don't know where that came from. Interesting. <laughs> I could not have imagined him saying this. But once I said it, I, I knew that was the start of a poem. And there's reference here to maybe, well, childhood Growing up Catholic and the memory of prayers, was that strong within you, that those sounds and words? I think a lot about prayer. I, I, I wasn't aware of how much I did until I started to put poems together for the new book, Holding Myself Together. Ah. And I realized how many of them quote Bible passages or refer to prayer. And, and, um, th and this is one of them. Um, but I think that there is a place for set prayers, prayers, composed prayers, prayer, traditional prayers. Uh, but I probably pray more often in a way that is wordless. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I have come to think of Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. I've come to think of that as a prayer composed by committee. <laughs> Such an odd combination of phrases. And every little kid in grade school when we were learning that prayer didn't get through to thy womb, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I think the prayers that uh, arise from our hearts um, in this wordless sort of way um, also have a place. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, and and then at the end, with things, some evenings all seems impossible, 
not impossible, difficult. That, too, my unsayable prayer. The unsayable prayer. Tell, tell me about that. That actually came from a conversation that I had at another meeting. There was a person doing a presentation, and he kept saying about how this was impossible, that was impossible, talking about situations that we were looking for some solution to. And finally, I said, not, not impossible, not just difficult, not, but not impossible. And it worked its way in here because um, I think that that movement from impossible to difficult is a prayer that is the gathering of hope mm. as practical as, as it might be. Yeah. As tenuous as it might be. Yeah. But it, it's uh, a step up from giving up. Yeah step beyond giving up, a step into the possible from giving up? I think so. I think that's an important uh, prayer for, for us all the time, not to give up, right? To, to keep, keep the faith <laughs> and take the action, you know? Don't just sit and have faith, but take action. Wow. Well, yes. actually, so that kind of leads me to the third poem that you brought, which has a kind of if not prayer, it's got this beautiful wish for the way that you would like to see the world you live in. So I don't want to, I shouldn't be giving it away. I should ha let you read the poem. Could you read your third poem that you brought? Cake and lemonade for neighbors. Where I want to live, neighbors gather on front porches watch their children play across multiple front yards, laugh in Spanish, Arabic, Burmese, English, talk about back in the day, share sweet and savory snacks, lend each other a cup of sugar or flour, borrow hedge trimmers, a shovel or rake, help with chores when need be, offer a word of advice, not more, Drums, strum guitars, and pluck banjos. Make a little noise sometimes. Sometimes bring out a kitchen chair so everyone finds a comfortable place to sit on the unscreened, wide, or narrow porch, or on the stoop. Sometimes just enjoy all black, brown, white, golden quiet together. I love it. I would go live in that neighborhood with you. <laughs> That's a place to live for sure. Um, does it describe a neighborhood you've ever lived in? I think the neighborhood I lived in that came closest was the one where we lived when our children were small. Mm -hmm. It happened that on that block, um, alternating houses were white, black, white, black, white, black, as far down the block as I could see mm -hmm. or knew. This was in Milwaukee? Um, yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But those neighborhoods are hard to find. There still are some, mm -hmm. uh, but they're hard to find. And, and one of the things that prompted the poem is the fact that I think they're not appreciated. People have told me people have moved from other places and have come to Milwaukee and were looking for a place to live. We're, shown, we're told by the um, 
real estate agents that were guiding them in the search for a house. Oh, you don't want to live there. Mm-hmm. Or they would ask for an integrated neighborhood, an inclusive neighborhood. And they were either told that there weren't any mm-hmm. or the ones that there were were high crime or some other issue that they didn't want to live with. Houses in suburban communities cost more. And so the um, percentage that the real estate agent gets is greater. Yeah. It's rigged. Well, and you've certainly been a a passionate advocate for fair housing and making sure that that fight doesn't end. So thank you, Peggy. Thank you for your work and thank you for your poetry. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed talking with you this afternoon. Me too. You have been listening to Poetry On Air. Hosted by Sheboygan's Poet Laureate, Lisa Vihos. Questions or comments can be directed to Lisa at poetlaureatesheboygan at gmail.com. Poetry on Air is produced in the studios at Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.